Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one righteous page of Talmud each day. And in today's page, Bava Kama 27, we receive a stark reminder about personal responsibility. Here it is. As it is taught in a Baraita, if 10 people beat a victim with 10 sticks, whether they did so simultaneously or sequentially, they are all exempt as it is impossible to sentence any one of them to death since no one person killed the victim and there is no death penalty for partially killing a person. Rabbi Huda ben Betera says, if they beat him sequentially, the last one to beat him is liable for the death of the victim because he brought the victim's death closer. So too in this case, although the first one threw the child, they were talking about another case involving throwing a child and another person impaling him, very grim today, the one to impale him on his sword was the one to hasten his death. And therefore, according to Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera, he would be liable to receive the death penalty. Let's focus on this case for a sec. Nine people, the Talmud teaches us, stressing a point the rabbis had already made earlier, nine people can beat a dude with a stick. And then comes assailant number 10. And if he delivers a blow, just a single blow, and the dude dies, well, it's number 10's responsibility. Why? Because we're not part of some amorphous blob. And we can't just hide behind collective behavior and say, hey, you know, what do you want? A lot of other people also did the beating. So I don't know. It's not my fault that the victim passed away. We ourselves have the supreme responsibility of adhering to that earliest, earliest, earliest biblical commandment and being our brother's keeper. And if we fail to do so, if we partake in any wrongdoing, we are responsible. Our guest today understands this idea intimately. He is one of our greatest living philosophers, and he has shown his own commitment to never turning a blind eye to human suffering by traveling to war zone after war zone after war zone, holding all of us accountable to hear and see the plight of those afflicted by conflict and cruelty. He is Bernard-Henri Lévy, and this week he joined us on the Unorthodox podcast to talk about his newest film, Glory to the Heroes, the third in the trilogy, documenting the devastation of Russia's war on Ukraine and the courage of the defenders standing up for their homeland. We're running the conversation here on Take One a day early. And if you enjoyed it, you will love this film even more. I have seen it and I cannot tell you how profoundly moving it is. It is opening nationwide in movie theaters on December 8th. The New York premiere is on December 6th at 6.30 p.m. at the United Nations. It's open to the public. When is the last time you saw a movie at the UN? There'll be special screenings with Q&A sessions with Bernard in Washington on December 9 at 1 p.m. and in L.A. on December 10th at 1 p.m. We will put a link in the show notes, so register today to see this amazing movie and hear Bernard in person. And I guarantee it, you will leave this theater feeling more hopeful. And now, here's our conversation with Bernard-Henri Lévy. Bernard-Henri Lévy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Now, look, I have seen this film. I was immensely, immensely, immensely moved by it. I personally strongly believe that, you know, Israel's war in Gaza and Ukraine's war with Russia, it's it's part of the same global civilization. But I want to start with a with a provocative question. You know, there are a lot of listeners listening to us right now who maybe have gotten a little tired 
of of this war in Ukraine. It's been going on for a long time. Who are maybe distracted by the war in Gaza? Uh, why should we care right now about the heroes of Ukraine? Distracted, they would be wrong because it is the same, and because uh, the two are completely connected. Hamas would not have dared to attack Israel if you know, Ukraine had won against Putin. This can be demonstrated. I could prove it. Uh, fatigue, of course, there is because we we live in a world where people are real. We we all have a sort of attention deficit, and uh, to hold the stage uh, for one year and a half, nearly two years, as President Zelensky did, is already a miracle. So there is, of course, a moment of um, emptiness. That is one of the reasons why I insisted to release this film, uh, to shoot it, first of all, so quickly, to edit it in emergency, and to release it in emergency too. There's one amazing segment in the film in which we meet two incredible young men, Sasha and Vitali, who are former IDF soldiers, Israelis who train with the Ukrainian military and fight with the Ukrainian military. Why was it important to include this segment? What 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 are viewers to take away from watching? Because there are many Israeli soldiers who have volunteered in the Ukrainian armed forces. Generally, they don't speak and they don't show their face. For me, being a proud Jew, me, myself, being a Zionist, myself, it was very important to show this proximity, this brotherhood between Israeli fighters and Ukrainian fighters. And I'm happy that the scene, that the segment moved you because I was myself moved when I saw these Jewish boys and these uh, Ukrainian boys uh, having this hug on front line, remembering their souvenirs of brotherhood and ready to go to, to front line again together. I was moved to tears, by the way. Uh, these Israeli veterans whom I film in, 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 my, in my movie, they are former fighters in IDF and they are again fighters, alas, in IDF because on October 7, they moved again from Ukraine to Israel. And at the time we are speaking, they are in Gaza, in special units. It tells the story of these two gentlemen, Alex and Vitaly, in a sense, tell the story, the whole story of the link, of the big game, in which Israel and Ukraine are on the same side on the barricade. The thing that really grabbed me the most about it is that just like the amazing things that we're seeing out of Israel right now with the Israeli public mobilizing so fiercely to fight this war as one, this third movie, Glory to the Heroes, my favorite, by the way, among this trilogy of yours, uh, the Ukraine trilogy, really shows the incredible resilience of ordinary, everyday Ukrainians. There's a, a scene that I think, again, comes to life in a, in a very different way after what we've seen post-October 7th of three very young women who were kept hostage in, in a small, cramped basement by the Russians for months with hundreds of uh, other people who, who you take back to this basement, who tell you this thing. So as you were spending time, not just in the front lines, what is it that you saw with, with these 
ordinary Ukrainians in the way that they mobilized to fight as one? The resilience of the civilians and the heroism of the of the soldiers, they proved to be inhabited by an incredible and, and beautiful patriotism. There is an Ukrainian miracle, as there was in uh, 1948 uh, and 1949, an Israeli miracle. For Ukraine, it's a sort of uh, Israeli moment. What is happening in Ukraine since uh, two years is uh, not unsimilar, not so different from what happened to Israel 75 years ago. And by the way, Israel is, um, for so many of the Ukrainians I met, so many of the Ukrainians whose uh, daily life I shared, Israel is a sort of pattern, of model, of uh, of re- reference on every level. Mobilization of the society, forget the, the quarrels when the national unity is at stake, build an army out of nothing. So this is what uh, struck me. And for my Jewish and Zionist heart and brain, it was not nothing to perceive all of that. It made a lot of sense. What motivates you to sort of continue this work? I mean, I know a lot of us, We it was Ukrainian flags everywhere, people changing their Facebook photo. It was sort of all the rage to sort of really be supporting Ukraine. And I think as time has gone by, it's gotten harder to command the attention of the masses, right? We've moved on to other things. We're incensed by this. We're outraged by that. How do you stay committed to this cause um, that's clearly very important to you? I keep on because I see that the others are increasingly tired of uh, of Ukraine. And uh, I don't know how to do that. For me, it gives me a, a duty. In general, you know, when you, when you can and when you don't do, it can be a real mistake when you can, when you have access, when you have time, when you have uh, money, when you have the ability to to see things and to tell things uh, which others would not see and tell, I consider at least uh, that it is a duty to 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 deliver and to and to fulfill. It, it is a deep moral duty. I mean, the, the book of yours I love the most, "The Will to See," basically says, "Look, it is your moral duty to never ignore the suffering." of people out there in the world, if only to bear witness, which is not only, you know, a, a core tenet of, of your own career, but also a deeply, deeply Jewish thing. I, I kind of wonder, though, because, you know, Stephanie's question does speak to something larger. So many of us, not just in Ukraine, but in life in general, are, are, are kind of the way we go through life is saying, like, we don't have the capacity for it. Like, we, we just want to care about our family. We just want to care about a stupid TV show that we're watching. And, and you're here teaching us a different way. You're saying, I'm sorry, but you have a higher responsibility. I think you have this responsibility when you are, when you are a, a human being in general, when you are a woman or a man of, of goodwill, but even more when you have public voice, when you have a, a public existence, when you are an intellectual, you have this, this responsibility. And you cannot take the good of it without taking the bad of it, the bad. I mean, the most painful. It is not a joy of every moment to spend uh, your whole summer in trenches, in front line, uh, 100 meters from, 
Russian uh, savages. It's not an easy, an easy going um, summer which I spent. But I have so many advantages. I'm so lucky in life by chance, by by family, by whatever you can, by the favor of the of some people in my country and a little in America who listen to me, who buy my books and so on and so on and so on. The minimum I can do is to try to give back. And what uh, means again, when you are the only one to be able, or one of the few, to be able to do something, and when it is, when it can make a difference, you have to do it. In Ukraine, it is very simple. The, the links I have with the Ukrainians, the, the trust which I built with uh, uh, the political society between uh, 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 me and political society, me and uh, presidential administration, and myself and the ground commanders, this link, this trust creates an obligation. You know, when I go on the on the on the on the front line, when I am uh, stopped at the checkpoint, and when there is a a young commander that uh, suddenly wonders if I am not the French man who was on the Maidan in 2014, <laughs> and he has a he has a vague remembrance of that. Of that. How can I say? I I, I really feel uh, uh, obliged. I'm curious about the exigencies of of trying to film a a movie about war during war. How do you do that with any kind of uh, sense of safety or security for yourself and your crew? I have a huge security for myself and also for, for my group, for my team. I don't uh, engage in such an adventure without taking all the possible precautions. It's a complicated system. I have, of course, some fixers. I have some precursors who go in any place uh, one hour or two, um, a few minutes sometime before me. Uh, and all the more because I'm not a young journalist, you know. I'm not a young uh, uh, debutant journalist. Uh, in front of me, the Russians, they probably also have a vague idea of who I am. So I have to be careful. But I am. I am careful. I go as close as I can to the to the combats, but I am not a burnt head. A tête brûlée, as we say in French. I, and even if for myself I feel uh, strangely and absurdly protected, uh, I, I am careful for my for those who who trust me and who follow me, which is my team, Ukrainian and French, and and American. So one more question, and I think this one may be the most important one of all. What does victory look like? Uh, does this war end only when Russia is, uh, you know, defeated and thrown out of every part of Ukraine? Or does it end when Putin pays the price for his war crimes? What, what's the end goal here? The victory will be when uh, all the enemies of democracy in China, in Middle East, uh, close to Iran, when all of them would think twice before engaging themselves in such an adventure as Putin did. Putin has to be defeated. 
Putin has to to be toppled by his own people, be feeling, I hope, humiliated by this stupid adventure in which Putin uh, threw them. All that has to happen in order that in other parts of the world, dictators, terrorist groups think twice before repeating the same experience. That would be victory. Ukraine is a test which has been uh, implemented by Putin for all his likes, all those who look like him all over the world. Baruch Hashem. Bernard-Henri Navi, the film is Glory to the Heroes. It is opening nationwide on December 8th. The New York premiere is December 6th at 6.30 at the UN. If you want to see a movie at the UN, it's the coolest thing you could do. And then there are screenings with Q&A sessions in D.C. on December 9th at 1 p.m. in L.A. on December 10th at 1 p.m. We are going to put a link in the show notes to a website where you could register for all this, and I hope we do. Bernard, thank you for everything that you do, and uh, glory to the heroes. Glory to the heroes, and friendship to you, my dear Leibovitz. Big friendship, big hug, and to all of you. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you are really going to love the new book just published by me. It's called How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. You can order it now at your local bookstore or directly from the publisher through the link in this here podcast description or through that big online store whose logo is, you know, a smile. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You could get your Take One t-shirts and mugs and other swag at tabletstudios.com and you could subscribe to our weekly newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.